welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. For those of you listening on release day, happy Thanksgiving. Well, actually, those of you listening on release day in the United States, happy Thanksgiving. It's just a regular Thursday for the rest of you. But over here in the U.S., we are eating well, we are drinking well, and we're just hanging out with family and friends, and it's giving Thanksgiving. So... In that spirit, today is a Thanksgiving-inspired show to just kind of help you through it. It's a fun-filled show with conversation around all things wine, of course, but I think we're going to have some questions around DIY, home renovation, and um, my guest likes wine but has some questions that I think a lot of you out there listening have questions about as well. So we're going to be answering those questions, but a very easy listener-friendly episode with a delicious bottle of wine. For those of you wondering who my guest is, if you are fans of all things HGTV, DIY, anything to do with home renovation and watching it on TV while somebody else does it beautifully and you're like, I could do that probably, (laughs) that's my guest today, Jeff Devlin, host of Stonehouse Revival and among other things on HGTV and DIY, carpenter, contractor, owner of Schoolhouse Woodworking and Sycamore and Stone Farm. In Chester Springs, PA, which is where we met, sir. It's good to have you on. Yes, it was uh, It was awesome to be on. Or it was, like it's over. It's, it's over. just That's starting. It. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, this is, this is a perfect example of why TV was my, why they picked me to do TV, because I could do a second take. I, I guess I can't do a second take now, so it's We're just going to run with it. We're just going to, I think it's Yeah, good, I love it. Because this is, this is what Thanksgiving's all about, right? You've got to improvise, redirect. Heck yeah. Give it. You know, it's it's funny. When I was a kid, Thanksgiving was the holiday. Mm. Dad would break out the sawhorses. He would he would put them out. He would get four by eight sheets of plywood. And we didn't have a big house. But for some reason, dad had to have, everybody had to have a seat. Yeah. No such thing as the little kid table. And that. our entire living room, you couldn't walk behind. There was probably like 30, 40 people with like three to four, four by eight sheets all jammed in there and just good conversation and, and just good family fun. And I'm guessing by the way that you say water, because I watched your videos before, you're from uh-huh. the Philadelphia area <laughs> like me. That is true. That is true. <laughs> I get teased even with my own kids. Like I thought that they would leave like, you know, kind of ease up on me a bit, yeah. but they just, they, they berate me regularly. And it's funny. One of the shows that I was filming was a bathroom show, mm-hmm. and it was out in Minnesota. They've got a vibe. Yeah, I've got that little bit of accent, if you will, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or I became, I became Minnesotan, Minnesotan, Minnesota, whatever. Mm-hmm. I became whatever the heck that is, and I would walk around and I would say my oohs and oh, don't you know? And then that. I'd say water, and they'd be like, <laughs> "What? <laughs> like you couldn't understand that." <laughs> The production company spent so much money to try to get me to say water. No way. But every time I, I'm dead serious, I had to do voiceover training, how to say water. And no. I, every time I say water, I have to really enunciate. Yeah. And then they just gave up after like two, three weeks. They're like, say whatever you want. We'll just W-U umlauts, T-E-R. We got it. We'll just, we'll just put your little, you know, we'll write it underneath in the bottom of the screen. I think it's part of the charm. You know, my mom is the same problem. She cannot say wah. She's just the same thing. It's this what like she swallows it. She's like water. <laughs> but I went to school for musical theater, and so it was the the water and among other Delco things was sort of beaten out of me. But I did I did a video on Halloween where I sort of dressed up as a a version of my mom, and I put on my thickest Delco accent that I could, and I I just <laughs> ran with it. It was harder than I thought it was going to be, but. 
It's good to have you on. I'm excited because we're going to be talking, like I said, all things uh, all things wine, but we're drinking a delicious wine, which you should have in your glass if you're listening. Jeff, I know there was conversation around which glass to use before the show. So tell me your question. Amanda, the first thing is, is I am a grown adult. Mm-hmm. I am 50 years old. Okay. So I'm I'm not a wine connoisseur in any way, shape or form, but as I've gotten older, I've seen things change like my palate it just changes. So yes, I drink beer mm-hmm. primarily, but I want to be able to try new things and yeah. understand why they pair with certain things. It's like, you don't want to have milk and then chili or soup or something like that. It there doesn't you go. sit you know. Well. Yeah. But it's the same thing like with wine. I'm, I'm almost nervous to make a decision in front of other people to say, mm. you know, almost like the salad fork, which, which one is the right fork do you grab? So my understanding is this one. It's a stemless wine glass. Right. Yep. So that is the red wine. Show me your other one. Uh, this one right here. Okay. So that's got the stem. Yeah. So effectively, these are the same shape, right? These are just like mm-hmm. this. The, the bowl is the same shape, which is basically just this round bottom, basically even all the way to the top of the rim. And that's just your standard, what we would call it's a, the other. The one with the stem on it is just your like your standard white wine glass because it's a okay. little smaller. The bigger version, but the same sort of shape of that glass is what we would consider a Bordeaux glass. A stemless glass falls out of all the categories. So a stemless wine glass can be any shape, but it's like, that's like your universal glass. But I'm not going to be made fun of if I drink out of this one versus this one. No. If I'm drinking a white wine. You can drink a white wine any out of either of those glasses. My point is the stemless wine glass is basically a universal wine glass. You can drink anything okay. out of that glass. Okay. There's effectively four different shapes of wine glass. You have like your champagne flute or your champagne like tulip glass, which is for sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And you have a white wine glass, which is what you had in your hand there. It's a smaller, mm-hmm. smaller bowl, but it's even basically from the bottom of the bowl all the way to the rim. It's got a mm-hmm. stem in it, so whatever. Then you have the burgundy glass, and that's the one that's like sort of triangular. It kind of flares out right here. I don't think you have one of those. No. This I actually have an all-purpose one, and so neither of these will work for this demonstration. But the burgundy glass is the one that is a little bit narrower up top, and then it triangles and comes in at the bottom. That's the burgundy glass. And that's your glass that you're going to use for your full-bodied whites and your light-bodied reds. So anything that's like a Pinot Noir, so light-bodied red, Grenache, light-bodied red, full-bodied white, Chardonnay, or... This is a weird one. This is a weird one, the one that we're drinking today. This could go either way. Okay. And then you have your Bordeaux glass, which is your other used to. There's two different red wine glasses. Your Bordeaux glass is effectively the same as the white wine glass, just bigger. Okay. It's just a bigger version of it. And that's for your full-bodied reds. Okay. So that's going to be for Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, anything that's like from Bordeaux. It's like it's your Bordeaux varietals. Now, there's a trick to this, and I'm going to tell you what the trick is. Oh. So there's basically two different bottle shapes, right? You have this bottle shape here, which is a Bordeaux bottle. It's the same up and down, right? Does not flare out. Okay. If it doesn't flare out, it goes in the glass that doesn't flare out. If it's a burgundy bottle that's rounder and flares out, that goes with the glass that flares out. So the bottle shapes actually mimic the wine glass. Okay. So that, to me, brings me peace if mm-hmm. I'm going to to the store and grabbing some wine yep. and then knowing what glass to put it in. I mean, yeah. again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's not to say I'm not cultured in it. No. It's new to me. So when you try something new as you're, you know, it's like, it would be like riding a bike 
at age 50. It's going to take you some time to yeah. get, you know, things going, but I want to be, I want to take the training wheels off a little sooner. So understanding like little things like that, make it easier. Cause yeah. a little bit, I hate saying it out loud. It's a little embarrassing in that I'm trying something new at this time in my life. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I do it right. And I want to experience the way the proper way to experience it. Yeah. You know, no, I'm not going to drink it out of a red solo cup. I know many people have. Yeah. And I'm not saying I wouldn't if I was desperate. Totally. I'm just saying I want the right glass for the right occasion or the right wine. No, and I think it does make a difference, right? The the right wine glass. Now, I will say with a stemless wine glass, one of the one of the arguments against a stemless wine glass is that one of the reasons that a wine glass even has a stem to begin with is because the temperature of the wine is really important. It changes how the wine can be perceived. So if you have a stemless wine glass, obviously the only place you can hold your wine glass is the actual bowl itself, which means your hands are going to be changing the temperature of that wine and either and bringing it down a few degrees. So that's one of the arguments against stemless. However, because it is Thanksgiving, I am an argument for the stemless wine glass on Thanksgiving and in big group settings or outside where it's windy because I think the stemless wine glass is the superior wine glass to the one with the stem for knocking over, like, you know, you know how it is on Thanksgiving, 30 people <laughs> yeah. sitting at a, yeah. in a big room, like dogs running over the table, right. that whole thing. Like we're lucky if anybody gets wine, let alone in a wine glass. Mm-hmm. So in that capacity, like I'm totally good with a stemless wine glass. For me, this is where sort of the all purpose wine glass, which is what I have here. This is the Gabrielle glass. This is actually, so I hosted the, so the reason that Jeff and I met in the first place, by the way, is just by chance, I happened to wander into Sycamore and Stone Farm, which is this very beautiful stone house that you or barn that you revived. And it's a store. And so I walk in and I'm with my mom and my sister. And to my right, there's like this macrame class going on in this like beautiful space that they're also selling things in. And I was like, that's really cool. I, sh- I wonder if they c- I could do a wine class here. And you know, people are always asking me, can you do wine glasses? And I always say no, because I have no space to do it. But I see this and I happened to talk to, I think Heather was there and she was mm-hmm. like, oh my yeah. gosh. We've been wanting to do a wine class. Could we do something? So I was like, I, I could, I'm going to be here for a couple of weeks. So I end up, we book this wine class. And then in the process of me booking this wine class, I end up finding a place to live here in, in the East Coast of Pennsylvania. And so now I'm living here. And so now I think we're probably going to be seeing more of each other and doing Heck yeah. more wine classes. But in that wine class, we use the Gabrielle glass, which is this universal wine glass that I have here, which I've just totally fallen in love with in the last year or so as like my go-to glass because it works for everything. And it sort of takes the guesswork out of like, which glass goes in which. This glass literally works for everything. Sparkling, rosé, white, full-bodied white, light-bodied red, full-bodied red, all of it. So I'm just using this glass for basically all of my wine Well, I'm going to get those glasses later today, (laughs) just so we're all clear. Great. If it goes for everything, I'm in. Yes. So here's a silly question then. Mm -mm. When you drink beer, you have a tendency to just I don't want to say shovel it in, like go to a Phillies game or something like that. Yeah. Now that you're in Philly, you're going to have to, but yeah. you go to a game and, or even if you're sitting at the table, you, you kind of, you just keep drinking. It's almost like habit. So with wine, is it something that it's, it's more of a very light sip? Obviously you're not chugging it, but is there a certain amount per, I don't want to say hour or liters? I would say there are certain wines that definitely lend themselves to sipping. Like Burgundy, for example, this is a region in France that produces both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And Burgundy is a wine that is really meant to be sipped. There are very few Burgundies out there that I would say like, yeah, 
like chug it mm-hmm. back. Bordeaux is kind of the same thing. And I would, so we're drinking a white Bordeaux right now, which I'll talk about in a second. I would put that in the same category as well. This is not a patio pounder. What is a patio pounder are things like Vino Verde, which is a low alcohol wine from Portugal, from like the northern parts. It's very low ABV, usually between like nine and 11 and a half percent, which is pretty low for wine. It usually mm-hmm. starts usually between 12 and 15 percent. Rosé is a good example of like a patio pounder. And then we have this like relatively new category of red wines that's like not really a specific category, but they're like chilled reds or chillable reds. And these are usually Mm -hmm. low alcohol red wines that are not aged in wood. They're usually aged in like concrete. So they don't take on as much tannin, which means they're not going to have as much structure. So it's almost like drinking juice. Like they're just easier. So I would say the category of wines that are best served for like chugging are basically the ones that are not aged in oak. It's like basically anything. If you see that it's aged in stainless steel, if you see that it's aged in concrete, like those are good wines to either chill down and or throw back. And then also look at the alcohol level. Because if the alcohol level is above like 12%, probably not a good idea to chug that. Like believe it or not, (laughs) like one or 2% like makes a huge difference when it comes to like the the long-term drinkability of wine. So then my question is, is because my mom was a teacher for, uh, in the city of, uh, Philly, the school district for 40 some years Mm -hmm. on Fridays was her day. Okay. I bet. What grade did she teach? Third. I bet Friday was her day. She had two boys. Okay. Uh, she did take care of my half brothers too. So that was four other boys. So that's six total. So she was a box of wine kind of lady. Yeah. Is there such thing as like a good box of wine that you can get that good, like, I don't know, that same flavor? Is it something, is there like a shelf life that's for each one? Yeah. I mean, because she would leave that sucker in there for like a month. By the time we were doing it, we could take the paint off the walls. Well, that's kind of what those are designed for. It's interesting. So the episode after this is going to be one with Ray Isle who is the executive wine editor for Food & Wine Magazine. He's got a book coming out called The World in Wine Glass. And we talk about this a little bit in the show because there is a difference in category between like wine that is specifically for like, you know, beverage, right? Wine is beverage, meaning like something that's just drinkable, you don't think about it, versus the wines that he talks about in his book. And there's nothing wrong with like wine is beverage. But in general, when we're talking about like boxed wine – that's like wine in a beverage category. That's wine that's made to be sure. like quaffable, drinkable. Like you're not you're not asking like where did the grapes come for this wine? Like who right. made this wine? Like no one's asking questions right. about the origin story, right? Kind of like your furniture, right? right. Like you know, it's sure. a difference between did Jeff Devlin like take time? Like where did this wood come from? Did it have a story behind it? Like that's that category of wines. Right. The box category of wine is IKEA. You know, it's it's like it's the stuff that you buy from like. I don't know. I'm in the midst of buying a whole bunch of furniture right now. Like, I don't want to disparage anyone, but it's like, you know, it's buying from like Wayfair. Like, I'm not checking to see like what the origin story of this like $150 cabinet right. I'm looking at is. So then to your point, do you ever drink box wine? I'm not against drinking box wine in, in the same way that I'm not against drink like eating a McDonald's hamburger from time to time. Like oh, God, there's yes. a there's a time and a place for it. Right. Okay. Designed to be delicious, designed to serve a purpose. And designed to do what it does, which is sit in a bag, in a box, in a fridge for long periods of time and still be quaffable. Like those wines are designed for that purpose. No different than like that furniture is designed for the purpose, that McDonald's hamburger is designed for that purpose. Like even though someone is taking the time to make sure that it's delicious, 
there is no real origin story to it. And so I think to that end, like, are there good boxed wines? Of course. There are very palatable, delicious boxed wines. And they honestly, with, you know, the advent of sustainability, glass is very expensive to ship. And it's a huge part Mm -hmm. of the carbon footprint that is wine. I think it adds like three times the amount of carbon footprint just by shipping a, a a bottle of wine. So you are seeing a lot of producers move towards alternative packaging. And so with that in mind, people have looked at boxed wine as being a very viable option. I actually talked about earlier this summer, there was a producer in Washington who was doing a bag in a box of like high quality rosé. It was a hundred dollar box of rosé and it was delicious and it lasted and it, you know, it had all the things. And part of their, their marketing model was sustainability. So would this wine change if it was delivered in a a box of wine? Would it change? Like would the flavor change? Yes. That's a great question. So the biggest difference between a bottle, by the way, we have to talk about this wine because it's so delicious. I hope you like it. Keep drinking it. Mm -hmm. The biggest difference in packaging is really the long-term viability of the wine. So the thing with wine is that, you know, it's, it's usually closed with the cork because there's a gentle amount of oxygen transfer rate that is happening between the wine inside the bottle and the oxygen outside. And so that cork is just very slightly porous in that it allows a little bit of oxygen to infiltrate the bottle. And oxygen, as we all know, sort of decomposes things. But if you do it at a very slow rate, this is what allows wines to change over time. If you put it in a bag, which is an essentially oxygenless environment, and don't allow it to be exposed to air, then that wine's not going to change. And so to that end, that's a wine that you drink very, very quickly because it's not going quickly. anywhere. It's not doing anything. This is a wine that you could feasibly, meaning the one with the cork in it, feasibly lay down and have five years down the line and it'd still be good as long as it was kept in the right storage conditions. All right. So then that's going to lead me to my I next knew it. question. I I'm knew it. I knew it. so many questions. Okay. So I've got this bottle right here. Yes. This is like the biggest 40 of beer ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to d- probably drink the whole thing by myself in one evening. I've seen the rubber corks. I've seen all sorts of different things like where you you stick it in. Is there the right way not to store it? I know it goes in the in the fridge, but is there the right way to seal this so that I can get a little more time out of it so that I yep. don't feel like I have to drink it right away or the flavor change in the in a week? Cuz I've done that where I've opened up a bottle. I think I sealed it. And to your point of like, then I seal it and I've stopped that oxygenation still, I guess. Is you that have. what's changing the flavor? Yeah. So it's it's decomposing. It's like putting leftovers in your fridge, right? Like it's 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 going to change. That food is not going to taste the same as it did the night before. And that's because things are decomposing. You put it in the fridge to slow that rate of decomposition though, right? If you consider that oxidation mm-hmm. is a chemical reaction – what speeds chemical reactions up is heat. What slows them down is cool. And so we put it in the fridge to slow that rate of oxidation, which is essentially what's happening to the wine. The more you let that wine oxidize, so to speak, the less flavor uh-huh. it's going to have, the quicker it's going to turn into, it's not going to turn into vinegar, but it's going to essentially oxidize and not be palatable. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't drink it. If it's still tasting delicious to you, then you should con- you continue drinking it. So there's kind of, there's a few different approaches to what to do once that bottle is open. Number one, if it's got a cork in it, and you have nothing else available to you, just put the cork back in and put it in the fridge and keep it away from light because the other bad thing for wine is light. Is that why the bottles are dark? Yes. Okay. And if you see bottles that are not dark, that usually indicates they're made for early consumption, not long aging. So 
you can put the cork back in, you come into the fridge. The other thing that you can do, there's a few different, like you see the vacuum stoppers, right? That's trying to remove the oxygen from actually inside the bottle. There's a product that I really love called Repore Wine Savers. And these are these are single use. So they're not the most sustainable product, but there's there's single use stoppers that you put in the very top of the bottle. And they actually absorb the oxygen with silica gel from on top of the wine and then from within the actual liquid itself. And I have found that the Repore Wine Savers can give me an additional like three weeks of life on the wine. Because if you just put the cork in, in the bottle and put it in the fridge, you're really going to lose things like it within like the third to fourth day. But this, right. you put it in the wine and it's like good to go. Pretty, pretty solid. The other thing is called a Coravin, which requires, there's a few different versions of that, but that's actually displacing the oxygen from the bottle with uh, argon gas, which is a neutral, heavier gas than oxygen. And that actually does an incredible job of keeping the wine very, very fresh for, depending on the model, anywhere from a month to several months. We, speaking of drinking, we are drinking, you had serendipitously had mentioned that you'd prefer full-bodied whites, which is effectively Mm -hmm. what we're drinking right now. And I don't know how cold you have this, but the warmer this wine gets, I think the better it gets, which is a little bit counterintuitive to what we all assume with white wine. So this is a, this is actually a white Bordeaux. And this is from a producer that's actually more well-known for making Sauterne, which is a white dessert wine from Bordeaux. And the producer is Sudero, and this is the Estes Sudero, which is uh, a white Bordeaux. And if you ever hear white Bordeaux, that essentially means it's made from one or both of the two grapes, which are Sauvignon Blanc or Semillon. And this is mostly Semillon, and you'll see it's got a really pretty like golden color to it. And that's mm-hmm. coming from two places. One, it's coming from the Semillon grape, and then it's also coming from a little bit of oak that this is aged in. So, And then this is a little bit older. So this is 2019. This is an older older white wine. This is, you know, usually when we see white wines, they come out within a year to two of their, of their vintage uh, life. This is actually current release for the Estes Sudero. So it's got white wines gain color as they age, red wines lose color. So it's got a little bit of age coming from all three of those places, but I don't know if you've smelled this yet, but it's very like, it's like very waxy and nutty. Get your nose in the glass, stick it in there. It's a big nose. I'm afraid I get it stuck. No, you're going to be fine. The best wine drinkers have big noses. But if you really kind of get in there, it's very like almondy, nutty, like a little caramelly. I smell the caramel. That's what pops out Mm -hmm. to me, like that little bit of, and I do, when you said oak, like that's a good term that I can describe that I, I, like it's oaky. Yeah. It's a little oaky. It's very easy to drink. Yes. For me anyway. It goes down real smooth. I do have mine a little colder. Yeah. Or at least when I did, when you were talking about it. Yeah. And now I, it is warming up yeah. as we've been yapping and I am holding it. I keep putting it down because I was afraid that I'm going to make it too hot too quick, yeah. but I can definitely, I can definitely feel or taste that it's getting, it's, it's flavors changing. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Every time I drink a, a dang Guinness, it do, the flavor doesn't change. It's the same yeah. damn thing. And this is what I think is so intriguing about all of this. I'm smelling more things. I'm, I'm tasting more things. But what am I eating with this? Mm. I, I can't, I'm not getting my McDonald's cheeseburger with this. I mean, you could do, you could do chicken nuggets. That would be delicious with chicken nuggets. Oh my God, I'm so hungry right I know, now. I'm sorry. I should have warned you. This is a podcast where we do talk about food from time to time. And since I'm a generally hungry person, it happens more often than not. What about Chick-fil-A? I, you know what I prefer with Chick-fil-A is going to be a sparkling wine, but I'm down with this. So the thing with fried mm-hmm. food is that you, you usually want something with like a lot of acidity, which is the highest acid wine you can drink in the world is going to be sparkling wine for the most part. So sparkling wine, whether it's champagne or cava, like that's your Chick-fil-A one. But if I, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at this. This actually has pretty high acidity. So when you're thinking of like pairing your food and wine, you want your acid, so the acid of the wine, 
to be as high or higher than the food that you're pairing it with. Why? Because acid cuts fat. You want your acids to basically cut through whatever it is you're eating. Okay. So if your acid's lower than that, it's just going to feel kind of clunky. So for example, like cheese has an incredibly high amount of acidity, more, more so than people realize. Cheese is very fatty and milk rich, so you don't necessarily realize it, but it's got a lot of acid. And so to that end, the wine that usually pairs best with most cheeses is actually white wine. So you can do red wine with harder cheeses, but red wine and like soft cheeses or fresh cheeses is like, I mean, you can do what you want, but like that's a big no-no. So with this wine in particular, which is the this Estesudero White Bordeaux, I'm definitely going something like a like a soft rind brie, something that's got a because this wine has a lot of texture, right? Even though it's got acid, mm-hmm. this has a lot of texture. It's got you mentioned viscosity the other day when I was talking to you. It's got a lot of viscosity. Yeah. And the more it warms up, the more the, more the viscosity is going to come it's out. It's thicker. It's thicker, yeah. exactly. It's viscous. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel cloying. It's very lifted by the, the acidity. But that is going to work really well with like a heavier cheese that's still a little bit on the fresh side. So like a, like a brie, like a camembert, something like that would be really delicious. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about, I mean, this is the wine that I picked specifically for the Thanksgiving episode because it works so well with everything from like light meats, like your turkeys, to like, you know. Sure sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, root vegetables. It has all of these things that work really, really well with that. So even though red wine is you know, more of a mainstay on the table at Thanksgiving, white wine is actually the more food-friendly of the wines for Thanksgiving dinner. What's your favorite side? Or what's your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal? You know- Regardless of wine. I know. I think it's Brussels. I know that's a weird one, but I, oh. I know. I knew you were going to make that face. I love Brussels sprouts, but I, I have this recipe- from Mark Bittman. Actually, he's been on this podcast. Mark Bittman, former New York Times food guy. He's got this recipe that's like the most garlicky, delicious Brussels sprouts recipe. And I love them so much. But the second, and I I make both of these, the second one that I love are these maple, I love these maple glazed carrots. Like those are delicious. And actually that would, that would be delicious with this wine. I concur with the maple glazed carrots. Anything that's got that candy Oh, you got a sweet tooth, huh? Oh, you have no idea. My daughter's name is Reese. So I just like candy. And she was picked up, named after the chocolate bar. But anything oh candy-oriented, gummy, sugar-related is like, ugh, I just love it. So your favorite side dish is pie for Thanksgiving. So you know what's <laughs> funny? I'm, I'm Americana to the T. I like apple pie. Apple I just pie. like the simplicity of apple pie. What is Thanksgiving like at your house? What, or what, will, what will you do? It's morphed. I mean, uh, honestly, when I was a kid, it was like big, huge family oriented like we'd probably have like 30 35 people my mom every year would say i don't want to do it again it's too much <laughs> and then she would do it she would do it uh and my dad would love it like he'd love he he loves that excitement he loves the the conversation the arguing about politics every single time and now as my kids are old they're all they're not old but they're older so they're now all at college they this they're all coming home, oh, so they nice. all just started piling in, which is really kind of sweet. Uh, I'm engaged, so my fiance's kids are coming home as well. So it's like we're a blended, not like we're a blended family. Yeah. So it's kind of that fun, you know. All of the fa- like the friends are not necessarily friends. It just becomes a much more intimate, mm-hmm. family oriented thing where it's not as grandiose or big. And it's just meaningful conversation. So it's really changed. And I, I, I used to hate Thanksgiving as a kid. Like, 
it was just the crazy. I liked it, but I didn't like it. Now I really just, it's a way to connect with the kids and they're all, except for one or two, they're all of drinking age. So they can all kind of sit and, and we can just sit at a table and talk. Yeah. The conversations do change. I remember that when I got back from college and, and started drinking, you know, I wasn't in the wine industry yet, but I remember like trying to go pick out wine for the first time with my mom and mm-hmm. it, you know, the conversations started to change and they still change. I think, you know, as we continue to get a little older, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we're heading into the holidays, hopefully with wine in hand, some of us making better decisions than others. And some of us Mm -hmm. thinking as we look around our homes, Hmm, that could use fixing or Hmm, that could use improving. What would you say to those people? It is a, a a crazy time of year where you're home a little bit more or you're, you know, as soon as the time changes, I mean, even though people have schedules, they're more apt to, in the summertime, go out till nine o'clock when the, the lights are, it, it's still bright outside. That is the most revelatory thing I've ever heard. You're so right. Yeah. Now it's like you're, it's five o'clock. You're like, yeah. screw it. I'm going home, you know? And I'm not saying like right after work, instead of going and maybe walking the dog at the park or something like that, you're home and you're settled in, you're in your pajamas. Well, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but you're in, you're in the, the home a lot more. So yeah. this time of year, people tend to do exactly what I do. And you look around the house and you're like, crap, I want to fix this. I want to fix this. And I want to fix this. Honestly, the best information I can say is really sit down at what's important to you and phase it out. Like you'll go crazy looking at your house and you in particular, Mm -hmm. because you just moved in, you want to change probably everything right away. And you know, for, for you, it's live in the house for a little bit to figure out your movements, figure out what works for you, what works uh, for your partner, like all of those sort of things, then make those decisions. So you're not having to do it all together. And now that you're Home for the holidays? Why not involve the family? If you're going to repaint the room, Mm. look, my dad made me do absolutely everything. Some things that I shouldn't have done. I was handed a chainsaw at like age nine to go cut trees down. I knew how to use a circular saw. And by the way, not safe at all. So I don't recommend that. But involve the family. I mean, it's not always, it doesn't have to be done in a weekend like a lot of our shows on DIY and HGTV and Magnolia show you. It's more the experience that you get from doing it. What's the thing that people try to do themselves that they shouldn't do? Electricity. Yeah. <laughs> that that one to me, I, I, I kind of giggle that people are like, well, it doesn't look that hard. Now, in all seriousness, it doesn't hurt that much. So it's like <laughs> when, you're a, when you're a kid, when you're a baby and you burn yourself on the stove, yeah. you learn very quickly that you shouldn't do it. And I, I strongly believe we have all these safety things that make kids, you know, like you don't do this. You're only going to understand and you're only going to learn by burning yourself. So right. for those people that are like trying to change their outlets in their house from a non-grounded outlet to a grounded outlet where they're not grounding it appropriately, they're just causing issues for their family right. or potential issues for their family and hazards. So I just strongly don't recommend that one. Other than that, Go to town. Yeah. You know, plumbing's relatively simple in that it all goes downhill. So think of that. It's got to go downhill, not uphill. What about like furniture restoration? Because like, I feel like my Instagram is just inundated. And this is a specialty of yours. I know. I feel like my Instagram is inundated 
with people who were like, you know, finding these really cool vintage finds or even not that vintage, mm-hmm. you know, things that are just a little bit dated because like their parents gave it to them and they're stripping it and they're sanding it and they're repainting it. And I'm like, that looks easy. But in my mind, I'm it like, can be. is it? No, but it can be. What what worries you is the same thing that worries me when drinking a glass of wine is I don't know, am I doing it right? Yeah. So like you already are saying, I'm nervous. Yeah. So what I would say is pick up the glass and take your first sip. Take a sip first. Don't take a gulp. Well, what's the first sip? Just gently sand it or like? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you have a choice, if you're going to stain it or paint it. Yeah. So it's a light sanding. It's something so that your paint can stick and then educate yourself into the types of paint that might work. Milk paint is really, really good in that it sticks to everything. Okay. So you don't normally need a primer with it. So that's wonderful to be able to use. You can mix it from a powder or you can buy it pre-mixed. Mm. So very, very cool. And it gives that very interesting uh, look. Mm. But I will tell you, here's here's my little tip. Here's a secret. I'm going to lean in. Yeah. Spray paint. Ooh. Spray paint for most people, they get scared. It's in a can. It's probably, you know, you get nervous. Well, actually, spray paint's not paint. It's actually lacquer. Mm. It's a tinted lacquer. So therefore, it dries quicker and less is more. You go very lightly. You can get a professional finish on your furniture by simply spray painting. Hmm. And most people don't try it because no one normally, there's no YouTube videos using spray paint. But in all honesty, I believe that from someone who uses lacquers, tinted lacquers, to paint cabinets, your kitchen cabinets, if they're painted at somebody's house, is going to be a tinted lacquer. Mm -hmm. It's much harder, much more durable, much easier to spray. So you get a professional finish in a $3 can. Amazing. Great tip. What about a sander? Is that something that you buy, you rent, order on Amazon, go to Ace Hardware? As far as, and I'll get very philosophical very quickly. Amazon, while I do think it's a necessary evil, go to your local. This is where I really want to you know, hit it home is that go to your local hardware store yeah. and then ask that question. I think that your local hardware stores, not your big box stores, go to your local True Value or right down the street. There's one in Paoli. There's one in Westchester. There's one all over the place. They will know what you need mm. for your project. So if you're going to sand, a lot of the times you're just going to do what's called scuff sanding. So that's just grab a small piece of sandpaper, wrap it around a block of wood and go to town. Okay. You know, I could tell you, you need this grit, this grit, this grit, but go to those local sources because not only will you get good quality information, but it's your community. It's your township. It's your neighbor. It's the people that your kids go to school with. And I'm telling you, once you get that information, you're going to go back. You'll be like, hey, Jeff, how's it going? I just painted that. You're going to be so proud. And then you're going to ask them again. They can be your source versus, you know, some somebody on the internet right. far away that says you should do this, that when you have a problem, you can't go in and ask them. You know, it's so funny. That same, that's the same advice we give people around wine. Like, you can like, and by the way, this is like a podcast that centers around wine access, which is an online retailer, but it's highly curated because, you know, people have taken the time to actually go and physically source these wines. But also one of the things that we always tell people is like, if you're at a restaurant, talk to the Psalm. The Psalm is there to guide mm-hmm. you. They're not there to hurt you, to help, to like, I mean, in the same way that the guy that's working at Ace Hardware, which by the way, the one around the corner for me I just had like the most lovely interaction there the other day. 
I think his name was Michael. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast, but it like he stopped me in my tracks and was like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Like, how can I help you? And it was mm-hmm. just like the most lovely interaction. And it, I think as a, maybe as a female or maybe just as someone who doesn't spend a lot of time in hardware stores and I had gone in for like matches or something. I, I initially was like very like reticent. I was like, oh, I can just order this on Amazon. Like I don't, I didn't want the pain of having to walk in the store. And now that I've done it, I'm like, this is amazing. I will go back here for everything. This guy was so nice mm-hmm. and they were so helpful. And it's so funny because it's it, like, it's the same advice that we give people for wine. Talk to the psalm. If you've got a local retail shop that you want to patronize, go to that retail shop because they're very, very helpful. And there's a lot of things that you'll be able to find there that you won't be able to find elsewhere. And it's also a great way to figure out your palate just you know by physically talking to someone. It's so funny because I think that if I'm doing a project for someone else, I walk into somebody's room, I'm like, I'll do this, 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 and this. And then when I have to do a project at my own house, I'm like, oh, there's so many decisions to make. <laughs> there's so many things that I could do. I could do this. I could do this. And then you get so sidetracked and pulled in a different direction. A lot of the times you don't even make the decision at all. Yeah. Yeah. An- analysis paralysis is a real thing. Right. And and then, you know, like if your shower's leaking, maybe maybe it's time to fix it, you know, appropriately because- this is the time of year when everybody's coming home and everybody's going to be taking showers, hopefully. Hopefully. Again, I, I can't stress it enough. Involve everybody. The one thing that I can say is that for years, and I, look, my daughter was my first child. So when I had my daughter, I was like, she's not going to ever have to do anything. She, I will, I will carry her. I will, I will wipe her knees when she skins her knees. I will cut her nails. I will feed her. I will cut her meat. Like I just, I wanted to protect her and I wanted to do for her to make her life amazing. But in reality, I'm realizing as I get older, that doesn't necessarily do good for her. She has to be able to go to the hardware store and ask. She has to understand how to change the oil. Whether or not she does it, where the oil is, she has to empower herself to be able to do those things. I didn't raise a, a, a daughter who couldn't, I didn't want to raise a daughter who couldn't do anything. I want her to ask questions. I want her to feel confident enough that she can grab a circular saw and go use it, that she can grab a paintbrush and go do it, that she knows what the, you know, the right end of a screwdriver is. Yeah. I think two things on that. One, if I can impart a little advice as a daughter who had a father that did a lot for me, but one thing that he did do, and like even just moving into our new place that I always loved is every new place I went to, he always left me with a toolkit. Always. Mm-hmm. Like yes. stocked with everything I need. A dr- I know how to yep. use a drill. I know how to use all the tools. But he always left a toolkit. And so, you know, I think – and I think that goes for any kid. Like as a, if you're a father or a mother that, you know, wants to give your kids a sense of like, you know, independent responsibility and the ability to have some autonomy in their lives and to do things themselves, a toolkit is just like – it's so emblematic of like everything that you want to impart – And the second thing that I would say is all the things that you want for your daughter, Jeff, I want for you in the wine world. I want to empower you to feel super confident and to like take the wine vibe. Like I don't want you to feel weird or confused or any of those things. Like I, you know, lean into all those things. You'll learn a piece of advice that I give everyone when they're like, even when they send me the wine list that, you know, sometimes my friends are like, oh, I'm at this restaurant. What should I pick? I'm like, is there a psalm there? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, use the sum. They know their list better than I do. But even for me, like, it's still, it's still advice that I take for myself. And I was just in Italy last week and I was at this beautiful one Michelin starred restaurant in Verona. 
And I looked at the wine list and I was like, I have absolutely no idea how to tackle it. I mean, everything that I've ever learned about wine was just flipped on its head because the wine list was organized differently. It was producers that I didn't know, vintages that I didn't know. I didn't know what the food was. And so I just, the song came over and I was like, listen, here's what I normally drink. Here's what I think the group kind of wants. What do you think? Help. And it right. it reinstated my feelings that I've had for such a long time, which is just ask the song. They will give mm-hmm. you an incredible, like the really good ones will give you an amazing experience. This place is called Il Desco. If anyone's going to Verona, I can't recommend this enough. And the team there was amazing. And it, it really did reinvigorate me. I think, you know, having worked as a psalm on the floor for a decade, I, this is my favorite part. I loved taking someone by the hand and guiding them through their wine journey through however long or short that was. My uncle, uh, God rest his soul, he was such an awesome individual. He was very religious, very set in his ways. And every single time we would go out, he would like make it a, like going out to dinner was like the greatest thing in the world. Mm. So he would always say, I would like a full body wine a white full body. And that's exactly what he would say every single time. I think he knew nothing about wine and he was happy with anything they gave him. As long as it was full bodied. As long as it was full body. And I think he heard that on a TV show or something like that years ago, but he absolutely loved, he, he loved to have his wine. He didn't drink too much. Uh, He would have like about a half a glass and he would be so happy and then start on with the conversation about how awesome his, uh, his nephew is. I think, I mean, that sounds like, yeah, that's you. I love that for your uncle. But I would say the second piece of advice adjacent to Ask the Psalm is if they do find a bottle for you that you really like, ask them two things. One, what were some of the things that I said to you that you found helpful? And two, mm-hmm. how would you describe this wine to me so that I can ask for something similar or adjacent again. And I think getting their perspective is really good because then it gives you a broader vocabulary. Also take a picture of the bottle because a lot of times like specific bottles are really helpful to show to some, hey, we had this the last time we were here. We really loved it. What else would you recommend? And then then you're on a journey. Then there's a path and there's a a clear way to figure out, you know, how you get from A to, to B to C. So make sure, you know, drink the whole thing, but also take notes, you know. So I have a question for you. Yes. As a woodworker, mm-hmm. there are times, and you said it, inspiration, where you got inspired when you were out out traveling. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you, because I, there's times when it's just, it's not monotonous in any way, but you just need to be inspired. Mm-hmm. What is inspiration for you that makes you reinvigorated for mm. the sport of wine? What I mean, travel always. I think anytime you can go to a wine region... Like, for example, I went to Portugal last year and I remember, right, so my my boyfriend met me in Porto right after this like trip out to the Douro Valley and I couldn't stop talking about my experience there because it was so different. I'd never seen anything like it, the way that the hills roll. And even the podcast that I did after, you can kind of feel just like how invigorated I was. And the way that they make wine there is so different. You know, the way that they make port isn't like how they make any other wine in the world. It's a very unique process. So I, I think more than anything, it's like getting on a plane, getting to a, a wine region. But I think there's also like, you know, sometimes I read books like, I, like Ray's going to be on this next podcast. And truly, and I'm not saying this to like plug the next podcast, his, the first like two, three chapters of this book, like really 
reinvigorated me because I, it's, it's another perspective. And like, that's the beauty of wine is like, all I'm looking for is another perspective in wine. I'm looking for someone else's opinion. I'm not always going to agree with that opinion, but I think it's important right. that we're opening ourselves up because sometimes, you know, being on social media so often, you know, I get sucked into the same vortex over and over and over and over. And so I have to force myself to read other people's thoughts and see what's going on outside of that world. But I would say, I would say travel and reading are the two things that probably re- reinvigorate me the most. Is it the unknown then? So for you, when yeah. you travel, is it like going into somewhere that you've never been before? So it's it's like a an not uncomfortable spot, but just something that's new where you get to experience a little bit of the nerves of I'm in a different area. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try something I've never tried before. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think honestly, just more than anything, it's like the world of, and this is why it, wine makes people feel the way that it does is because wine is so vast and it's never ending. There's always going to be a new vintage. There's always going to be a new producer. There's always going to be a new style of making wine or, you know, something that that hasn't been the way that it has been made for centuries and centuries. Wine is an old sport, but there's always new ways of doing it. And I, I think for me, one of the thir- first things that drew me to wine is this bottomless pit of information, right? It just, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. someone that's curious it's one of those things that you can just keep falling down the rabbit hole over and over and over again. And new places will do that for you, especially when, as you said, when you don't speak the language and you've never seen it before and there's cultural differences and there's things that are a little bit uncomfortable. I think those all spark a little bit of creativity because I think, you know, for you and I'm sure me as well, like the creativity that I have comes out of places of uncomfort. Have you ever made wine? I have. Yeah? Yeah. Do you still do? I don't make wine. No, I... I enjoyed seeing where the inputs and outputs were. I think as someone that likes to understand complex systems, like for me, what seems like a very simple system was actually extraordinarily complex with lots of different variables. So I I loved the process of making wine. I don't rule out the possibility of making wine down the line. It's just not something that I, it's not something that was like high on my priority list. Although I, I, it's getting higher as I get older because I, I love that. I love making things. This is this is happening right now. I got the oak barrels. You bring the grapes. <laughs> we start this process. All right. I'm just saying. All I right. got I got some oak barrels laying around. What kind of oak? What kind of oak? Uh, I think it's white oak and red oak. White. It's a white American oak. So you, I mean, usually wine is aged in French oak, but oh. all of your Spanish stuff, and then a few American producers, notably like Silver Oak and Ridge, use American oak, usually from Missouri. But I know there's. Actually, this is an interesting conversation. We should have separate to this. I've never even heard of Silver Oak before. And I'm a woodworker. No, it's a producer, Silver Oak. It's okay. a wine producer in, Na- okay. in Napa Valley. No, I know. But they they actually, they own their own cooperage in Missouri, which is where their American oak comes from. But I know there's quite a bit of American oak produced in Pennsylvania, m- mostly used for aging bourbon and whiskey. But it would be interesting mm-hmm. because American oak lends a very different profile than French oak does. It adds an element of coconut and dill that America that French oak mm-hmm. does not. So it would be interesting to see like if you could make a Pennsylvania wine with like hybrid varieties here and age it in American oak, what that would what that would do. Are you challenging me? Because I'm up for the task. <laughs> I think I'm challenging myself as oh, as future good. winemaker. I love I love the possibilities. I think we've got lots of them. I'm stoked to be local now and hopefully do more things at Sycamore and Stone and see more of you and, and the that. team there. Everybody who took the class was so excited. Oh. People were just so excited to learn more about it, but also they all came away so like 
they were inspired when that happened. And then as someone who owns the space and who wants people to have an experience, they all had a great experience. And that, I don't think that many people who are so close-minded to just grabbing a bottle of wine and drinking it for $7, whereas, you know, we talk about in, in construction and in carpentry, you know, you could go get an Ikea cabinet or you can go get a custom-made cabinet. And the cost of that custom-made cabinet is going to be a little bit more, yes, but it will last you a lot longer. It's better for the environment because you're not going to be having six different kinds. So for someone to get educated in wine drinking and have it mean something when you sit down and drink and have that experience and have that moment is so, so very important. Everybody who walked away from your class was like giddy. Like they were excited. They were excited that they learned something. They were excited that they did something new. There is a part of me that will always exist that feels a little bit insecure around wine. And I think if I can go back in time and just reassure that that 25-year-old person that like there's no reason to feel that way, I think I'll I'll be for the better. But more importantly, if I can inspire more people to feel a little bit better about wine and and feel confident to make their own decisions and empowered to travel and branch outside of their $7 bottle or whatever they're drinking is fine. I'm very happy for that. So with that in mind, I think my takeaway from that is let us all be inspired to be more creative and think outside the box and be a little bit, live in our uncomfortable moments a little bit more this holiday Mm -hmm. season. It's It's a season filled with a lot of uncertainty. It's a season filled with a lot of craziness. And so I think you just have to embrace it. And have a little wine along the Amen. way. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Um, a quick uh, plug for all your things. Where can people find you? Sycamoreandstonefarm.com. We have all sorts of different facets uh, at the farm, which is funny because it's it's a, we call it a farm, but there are no animals other than me. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. I, I have plans on getting all sorts of crazy animals, but we have our retail side of things. If you're thinking and you're local that you want something handmade, you want something to mean something, then reach out to us. We would love to provide you with the perfect gift for your family and your friends. We have an Airbnb where you can come and experience what it's like to live in a 1735 stone house equipped with fireplaces. We let you go crazy and burn all you want. And then if you ever need a custom piece of furniture by yours truly, then just reach out to us as well. And we can custom make that special table, cabinets, all that sort of stuff. Again, remember local whether or not it's us, but remember that there's many people that are right next door to you that really make some amazing things and to support them in your community. Yes. Support local, support your community, support this podcast by leaving us a review, by subscribing to the show and or by joining our podcast wine club. The wine that we drank today is a reminder is the 2019 Estes Sudero. It's everything's linked in the description along with where to find Jeff and all of his delicious, wonderful furniture. I can't thank you enough for being on here. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of you uh, down the line. So cheers. You got it. Welcome, neighbor. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 